Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Flight Number 39 with service to New York, New York, brought to you by Waystar Royco. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you are down a man for your billionaire softball game, uh, just and just giving away a million dollars for home runs, give our pilot Rich a call. He would be happy to sign an NDA to do anything. Welcome to the TV Pilots <laughs> License. My name is Jeff Kerbis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing today? You went with the NDA side, like direction of that and not the baseball direction? <laughs> <laughs> Every day we do this show, we have something to promote, and this week it's that Rich plays in an adult baseball league. Well, gentlemen, this week we are talking about succession as it is unfortunately coming to an end uh this weekend but before we do so it appears that there's a new hot shot within the media space that is boarding our flight and possibly looking for investors our guest this week is a stand-up comedian producer for jimmy kimmel please welcome anthony dalmeda anthony thank you so much for joining us today of course you look pleasure to be here very much set for yeah, our flight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, not promoting Spirit Airlines, but that ha- happens to be what I have there. <laughs> oh my goodness. You bought the Spirit pillow? It was given away. <laughs> uh, at one point, we we actually chartered a flight, uh, an entire flight to New York to do the show in Brooklyn, and it happened to be a Spirit flight, and it was a wonderful flight. The, on- the only wonderful spirit flight I've ever been on, really. But um, yeah, that was in the goodie bag. It, it's the that. only it's nectar that's also stuffed with peanuts. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, a it's a two in one. <laughs> this is actually my first time on a podcast. Oh, well, welcome. No we're, we're glad to be taking uh, your podcast virginity. I don't know exactly yes. what it is. I'll, I'll workshop that and replace it later. Um, I hated but, that. Now, what we're doing here is Anthony is uh, talking, and uh, mm. most of the people at home can't see us, uh, which is crazy. It's kind of like the <laughs> kind of like a ghost in the radio type situation, but I think you're doing a great job. That's so what far. you think, but I found the YouTube pretty quick. I was watching it visually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, but, yeah. viewer. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. And you actually brought succession to us as a recommendation. Um, I'd love to hear, and I think we'd all like to hear, what is your connection to this show? Well, I subscribe to HBO Max and I consume <laughs> basically, you know, whatever they're feeding me. But um, people were getting tired of hearing me talk about succession. It like, you know, people want to engage to a certain degree, but then they'd hit the fatigue point. Um, and so I figured at least I have an outlet to talk to other people that want to talk about it. If we have to record it, <laughs> so be it. And uh, Anthony did make us a promise before he came on that this would be the last time he ever talked about succession. It would be on our podcast. So you're so you're, maybe maybe in is, such a public, public forum. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeff and I go way back. I also just wanted to see Jeff. Jeff and I were on the crew team together. I All rusted right. up my old crew uni so I could be oh, wearing wow. it. No way. That's Man, amazing. You're ready, yes. you're ready for land, sea, and air. That's awesome. Yeah, I, so I that's, think that's the end. Anthony is very much set to uh, be part of the elite family of uh, succession. Uh, well, meanwhile, I am wearing a t-shirt and feel very underdressed in this moment in time. Um, before we dive in too much to succession, Max, do you mind telling folks what this podcast is all about? 
So here at TV Pilots License, we break down the pilot episodes of some of television's most famous, or in some cases, infamous pilot episodes. We learn how these shows came to be, if we think they're effective pilots and making us want to watch more, and if they could be made today. We've got a whole bank of episodes wherever you get your podcasts from, so go back and give us a listen. Check us out on YouTube if you want to see all the costumes and props that Anthony brought to the table today. <laughs> and if it is your first time flying with us, uh, sorry, it's not a private jet, but welcome aboard. And Rich, what is your question of the week? So I think I might have watched the fewest number of Secession episodes of anyone on this podcast right uh, today. Um, so I, I, you know, we'll talk about everything that goes into the legacy and, you know, history of the show and i'm sure you guys will drop a bunch of inside jokes that a lot of the people who are secession fans will end up loving um so i'm gonna ask a fairly related question uh what do you guys think about the estate tax and what should it be <laughs> oh god um well as a homeowner um <laughs> what i will say and as Part of the estate tax. I think that it's um, a really important and ongoing conversation that needs to be readdressed, most likely, in all honesty. Um, if we, if, without me diving too much into politics and uh, net worth discussions, uh, there's something that's wrong with it. And we should probably think a little bit more about how we are taxing folks who have as much money as um, certain billionaires. Just a thought. Um, but I do really, I'm a gigantic fan of, um, there is that one billionaire, I believe, who's talking about donating most of his salary, most of his earnings, uh, to charities, um, which is awesome. And like, let's see more of that in life. Um, yeah, like the owner, like the owner of Patagonia, uh, for example, um, Mm. he's taking away his stake and just donating it. So, um, Anthony, what about you? <laughs> I I don't really opine on things that I have such little control over, such as <laughs> legislation. But uh, I think this show does a really good job of putting that um, subject matter in the crosshairs that the eat the rich, the like obsessively uh, sort of wealth obsessed people that are are recognizing that so much wealth is misplaced. And then putting this like humanizing, um, but also showing how miserable the experience of wealth is. I think it's just really kind of what everyone has been seething about. And so Succession does a good job of being like cathartic release and fly on the wall of that world. That's great. I didn't know they even got into it. Max, what about yourself? As a millennial comedy writer living in Los Angeles, this is never going to affect me. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say good, unless I'm wrong, in which case I'm going to say bad. I think you, you covered all your bases there, but yeah. what, what a great Mr. Peanut Butter-esque political answer. I, I love that. All right. Well, Rich, what about yourself after thinking about this question for a little bit? I, in the first five minutes of Secession that I watched, uh, I would say that the estate tax should be ninety nine percent above a million dollars. so, and I know they got four seasons of material out of this, or four or five. Uh, how many four. Seasons, four seasons of this? Um, I, I look. I'm sure the drama of the show is amazing, uh, but all these people should not be relying on nepotism for their entire lives. Anywho. Let's keep going. <laughs> well, it's Rich. Not, I mean, they also kind of address that too, where Shiv wants to get into politics and Logan is like, 
why do you want to be at the shit end of the horse? Wouldn't you rather be at the front feeding it? Even if you were (laughs) going to try or say the estate tax should be changed, you have someone like Logan Roy who has power and influence who's going to stop that from occurring. And that's the problem. And Rich, I just want to say, I know you talk about nepotism, but keep in mind that all of our dads started this podcast decades ago. I know. We, we have, <laughs> it's, it's been a long line of, pod, of podcasters in this, in this family. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, what's up, dad? Uh, well, Rich, thank you for that question of the week. Uh, before we dive into this show, Let's talk a little bit about a synopsis. When a media tycoon considers retirement, each of his four grown children begin angling for their piece of the pie in this series. I think that's actually a pretty solid um, synopsis. But Max, what went into making Succession? Totally. And just a little bit of a uh, clarification for folks at home who are listening. We are recording this episode the day before the penultimate episode of the series airs. Uh, by the time this episode hits the waves, we will be days away from the actual show's finale. So if we make any predictions that are either entirely on the nose or wildly inaccurate, uh, just know the time frame that we're recording this. So today we are talking about Secession's pilot episode titled Celebration, which aired on HBO on June 3rd, 2008. We're going to be talking about a writer by the name of Jesse Armstrong. So Armstrong is one of the most prolific working writers in the UK. He's been a recipient of the Writers Guild of Great Britain Award, the British Comedy Awards, and been named to the Hot 100 on Broadcast Magazine highlighting the most successful people working at TV. And he gets his start at the beginning of the 21st century with uh, his writing partner, Sam Bain, who he meets at the University of Manchester, and they move together to London to try and make it an entertainment. They write for what is arguably the most British-sounding sketch comedy series of all time called Smack the Pony, before going on to create the cult hit Peep Show in 2003. Love that show. They did Peep Show? I didn't realize that. Damn. Mm-hmm. That's a great so show. So Peep Show by just years is the longest running channel for comedy in UK TV history, but they only do like four to five episodes per season on shows in the UK. Sick. So it's not like it has like a long episode <laughs> run. It just went on forever. Uh, Peep Show goes on to be named one of the best British shows of all time and featured on many lists of the best shows of the 21st century worldwide. And from there, Armstrong becomes one of the top like dark comedy satirical writers in the game. He receives acclaim for his work with Danny Boyle on the series Babylon and Armando Iannucci with The Thick of It. And the two of them actually received an Academy Award nomination together in 2009 for their work on the spinoff film for The Thick of It titled In the Loop here in the U.S. So we're going to take things over across the pond to our side of the Atlantic now. Armstrong makes the writer's list, the blacklist for his script Murdoch a dark comedy about the Murdoch family disagreeing over who should have control of the company upon his retirement. He also develops a film on the life of Republican strategist Lee Atwater alongside Adam McKay, but neither of these projects actually go anywhere. Armstrong decides he's going to retool his Murdoch script. He's going to expand upon this concept to make it a TV show and makes the whole thing a little more ambiguous, draws inspiration as well from like the Redstone family and the Murdochs, just all of the like US media conglomerates who control everything in this country. The retooled script is picked up to series order immediately by HBO because of their relationship with Adam McKay, who had just ended Eastbound and Down with them a few years prior. Hmm. So yes, 
Uh, Kenny Powers and Kendall Roy do exist in the same universe. It is canon. Uh, there is definitely a Kendall Roy cocaine story involving Kenny Powers somewhere on like a writer's room whiteboard. Adam McKay does direct the pilot for this episode. And it's worth noting if you are confused as to why Will Ferrell and Adam McKay listed as producers on here, it is because of the now defunct Gary Sanchez relationship, but they couldn't exactly just slap Gary Sanchez up in what was supposed to be a prestige TV drama. So they do it a little more subtly, just kind of putting their name above Freedom Tower in the opening credits. You have a nice subtle building like Freedom Tower. A nice subtle building. Thank you, Max, for that little bit of history of how this was made. Let's kick things off uh, with a senile old man pissing on his carpet. Uh, Because that is how this show begins. Well, Uh, yeah, because it's a Gary Sanchez production. (laughs) Oh my god. But I, I thought this was a very interesting... So one of the things that I thought was an interesting choice about the show is most of the show is filmed in shaky cam, um, it, which is such an interesting choice for prestige television like HBO, right? Um, but we get this disoriented old man that is Logan Roy, uh, and we watch him as he doesn't know where he is. We establish that he is not doing well health-wise, and... Uh, we then find that, yeah, he absolutely was nowhere close to the toilet. Uh, and it's just, I don't know if this is a comedy or if I'm supposed to be sad at this point. That seems to be a running theme in this. And and Max, uh, in, in your research for the, uh, like how the show was created, obviously, like you said, uh, Adam McKay directed the first one. Um, the visual, which you, which you mentioned, uh, Jeff, about like the shaky cam kind of disoriented uh, feeling of the camera. It feels a lot like the big short, how the big short was filmed. Is that a 100%. similar creative it, choice? It's the same like smash ins and pull outs. It, it looks that very similar like handy okay. cam style that he filmed the big short with for sure. Oh, sweet. And it's so. something that, that I believe they use the entirety of the show, correct? Like as like a filming it choice. becomes like a stylistic choice yeah yeah I, I would say the entire series it's not as much as the way we follow logan and the pilot like it's definitely a little subtler but this is definitely a show that uses a lot of uh smash cuts quick whips and pan arounds it definitely feels like you're in the room with everyone at all times versus setting up a framed shot and you're observing from the outside you definitely are a little more in the thick of it, which maybe, uh, you know, deals with some of the discomfort someone might feel in some of these scenes. Yeah. And then it's, it's super interesting. And like, Anthony, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, the juxtaposition of this scene where we see this older gentleman who, you know, is confused where he is, has this accident in the middle of the night to then, you know, almost a smash cut of, we are now in the car with Kendall Roy, who is singing as loudly as he can uh, to Beastie Boys, um, to either the pain or delight of his Russian uh, driver who is escorting him to work. Yeah, and the driver seems to be like, this is this is just another average day for him. You're the man, Mr. Roy, you know, after he's doing this whole cringe <laughs> headphone routine. Um, just speaking to the previous scene real quick, I feel like it's not, it, it wasn't necessarily funny. I mean, he's he's definitely a very dehydrated man, judging by the color of the, the urine. But the score, the score is so like morose at that point. I feel like the, the main thing you're getting is like, he's on the way out here. And then, so our next introduction is of course, like the guy who's so amped to be on the way in quote unquote, um, 
but not much more to say except you know you sort of start to see in this episode Kendall be test by a person who seemed on the way out at the beginning but you slowly realize is sharp as attack and sharp to the point that he's not sure that he can let go of things even though maybe his health is failing Max, you just have a note here that says type of NYC guys, and I'd like you to expand on that (laughs) for a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, we all have either lived in New York or lived adjacent to New York or spent time in New York. And we know we know a Kendall Roy. We know uh, we know finance bros. We know people who, uh, you know, are no Lita scumbags. We know these types of people. And I think Kendall Roy's first scene is just perfectly setting up what a New York douche this guy is. Uh, The three things that kill me are the smash cut from when the actual Beastie Boys rap fades out to hearing Kendall sing it off key. (laughs) His first line just being, today's the day we make it happen for Krev. Like that, that's like the ultimate New York City douchebag line. Like, like, let's just fucking do it and be legends. Today's the day we make it happen. And then I love him lighting a cigarette to just take one quick puff and then just throwing it out on the ground and stick it like sticking <laughs> his foot in amazing. it. Like he just needed that. W- it, he does it to be cool. It, it's like this is a guy who's like, no, I don't. I don't smoke. I only smoke when I drink. I only smoke to be cool. I'm a social smoker. Like, yeah, fuck you. No, this man also just really does not smoke. I don't think that he actually got any of that in his lungs. He just needs the rush of it. He just needs the rush of the aesthetic of smoking a cigarette. It's amazing. (laughs) It's interesting you bring that up, Max, because like Kendall reminds me of, um, so for our audience, I at one point for a few months worked for a News Corp entity. Uh, So I, I feel a little bit of a closeness to this pilot in certain ways we'll discuss later. I really forgot that you did that. Yes. (laughs) You really, I really did not need a reminder of that. Uh, But like, Kendall reminds me of a lot of the people I worked with uh, uh-huh. when I was an intern at News Corp. And like, it's it's so spot on that I was just like, yep, I, I've met Kendall like thousands of times. And he seems like the type of guy who's going in to make that big deal. Kendall Roy says Dime Square unironically. <laughs> <laughs> Kendall Roy follows an account on Instagram called Trillionaire Mindset. Hey, 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 leave that alone. <laughs> oh, today's, to the day that, t- today's the day that Jeff digs himself in a hole for Krev. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Anthony, you mentioned the score, and the theme song for the show is so magnificent in this intro. And I think the intro is one of the first instances where I feel like on this podcast, we've seen a intro do a great job of exposition of what we should be expecting. I don't know. I learned Uh, a lot from the Big Bang Theory theme song. Oh, my God. (laughs) We are not going to be talking about that. Uh, But it was just it was such a beautifully shot intro um, as well. And then you have like this powerful music that like, yeah, I, I could just listen to that in all honesty, like outside of watching this show. And I think that's like, is that a specialty of HBO? Probably, yeah, because we've every HBO show we've talked about, we talk about the music for like a while. What White Lotus gets in there, The Sopranos, uh, True Blood, John like, from Cincinnati. Yeah, <laughs> this, all, all HBO. This classics. is 
This is a never skip theme song for me. If you hit skip intro while watching Secession, I don't trust you. I don't <laughs> like you. This is a theme song that I throw ass to. Like when I'm watching this show on the couch, this comes on. I am getting down in my living room. Pusha T has rapped over this theme song. It it slaps. Nicholas Bratel is maybe my favorite composer right now. Even like a two-star movie like Cruella has a Nicholas Bratel score. And he's like doing A-plus work on like a C-minus movie. I just, I love him. So after this amazing intro, we lead into this really fairly interesting boardroom scene, right? We've seen Kendall pumping himself up for something. Um, and then we sort of get like a, a dick measuring contest, right? A, a pissing contest, let's say, uh, in honor of our first scene of, uh, you know, there's a media acquisition that or media company acquisition that's set to be done by Kendall. And we have an unwilling partner in these discussions. Um, I'd love to hear what y'all thought about seeing this change in power dynamic uh, from Kendall as a whole after we see him proudly singing the Beastie Boys, proudly getting one smoke out of a cigarette, uh, you know, like. What were your thoughts when you saw this change? It's it's uh, the same thing we see them doing in the you know final season where they're trying to acquire Gojo. They're this like bloviated media conglomerate trying to stay relevant. But to Kendall on that day, it's more than just the deal. And he's not thinking like a proper businessman because he knows that it's like kind of his first little test. Dad's out of the office. He's supposed to be you know coming up to the leadership position. But he also knows on some level his dad is testing him on if he can seal this deal. And the first sign that something's going wrong, he starts to get a little shaky and just wants to up the bid because he just wants the win for his dad's uh, you know, appreciation or admiration and doesn't realize the whole time that you know there's a litany of tests going on between if he's going to review the documents, his dad walks in and ambushes him to sign in like sort of a, oh, trust me, you know, it's just housekeeping, mm -hmm. or whether or not he's going to leave that business deal to go to Logan's birthday party, all of which Kendall makes an assessment that it's kind of a test, makes a decision and fails all of those tests. He goes to the birthday party wrong. It's supposed to be business first. He doesn't have his lawyer look over the paper wrong. Don't just trust your dad. Always look at it. And so we sort of watch him falter. Uh, or watch the beginning of him falter in that scene in the boardroom. It, it does get worse with his opponent. I've got a question for the board, just what I want to toss out here. <laughs> so you're you're sitting at a table with other people, and a guy walks in, throws open the door, and shouts, are we ready to fuck or what? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I, I don't know. I think that, um, one, I think I'm in the wrong room. Uh, if someone's walking in, like wearing a suit that's more valuable than, you know, all of my possessions combined. Um, but it's just one of those things where I really love the writing of Kendall Roy at this point, because I'm just like, at first I'm like, oh yeah, I've met this dude, right? Like I've met this dude a thousand times. Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, oh, interesting. Like we're keeping that energy. But as soon as something goes wrong and Anthony, you said this, like, we see an entire shift in personality as a whole. And we start to see this panicky, like twitchy, nervous guy that I'd never want to do business with, but almost puts on this facade of like, oh no, I'm super confident. I'm super confident. Like the person who says they're confident 
is usually the least competent person in the room. Yeah, he definitely yeah. has like the he he it's it seems like he learned business etiquette or not etiquette, but just like business strategy just from watching like 50 episodes of Shark Tank and just taking the worst behaviors that all the people did right before they made offers and just combine that into one person because he doesn't like he very visibly like or you know I don't know, common sense wise, like makes very bad decisions. And, you know, I've like, you know, the test from his dad, uh, losing the confidence of the vulture guy into making this deal. Like, you know, but he goes in there with the, are we ready to fuck conversation, which is just like, it is, it is so over the top and unnecessary. And you actually get like a, a decent bit of exposition here from the Volter CEO too, because he clues us in that Royco or uh Waystar Royco is not a very reputable company. They're not putting out very quality content. They are just going to kind of gut this company from, from his interpretation so I feel like that also with just like one or two sentences, um, Jesse Armstrong really puts this scene in like really puts the entire um, reputation of Waystar on like in the audience's brain, like immediately, which I thought was uh, an important part of this. Let's absolutely talk a, let's talk about a little bit of a different scene than this uh, very intense multi-million dollar acquisition that is set to go on. Uh, with a scene where we see a man, you know, getting high in his car before watching a training video while wearing a mascot <laughs> outfit. Um, I was just, I, I know that Greg, um, you know, Rich, I also have not watched this show before. Uh, and I've heard about the lore of Greg, and this was the perfect introduction to Greg uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, for our two more senior folks, as far as succession goes, what did you think about seeing Greg for the first time? Oh, man, the smash, smash cutting to uh, to a lanky dude smoking weed at a Subaru Forester. I felt so seen by succession. <laughs> very, very shakily hitting a one hitter. Yeah, Greg is us, I feel like, because, as the viewer, because, you know, we uh, don't really get to see the 1% life. And Greg is kind of outside of it, too, even though he's related to it. So I feel like we kind of track our, our lens, especially when Greg finally gets to Logan's party. We are kind of that fish out of water, too. And he's also, of course, like a delightful, extremely comedic, uh, comedically capable actor. Um, but I want to say one thing about the scene before in the boardroom, which is one of my favorite okay. lines of the pilot, which is uh, when I think Frank or someone after the the deal is going uh, the wrong way, he's like, do you want to call your dad? And Kendall flips out and he's like, no, do you want to call your dad? Do you want to call your dad? You, okay, no one wants to call his fucking dad. And then he's like, dad. And he, and he because everybody knows, and that's another great bit of exposition, even though he's in there playing the big man, everyone knows he's really not the big man still. We do need to call the dad. Maybe they shouldn't have said it, but that's the fact. Like, we're calling the dad. And so I just thought, man, by the end of that scene, this show is, is pretty set up. We see the problem immediately. And Greg, of course, like, then right on cue, immediate comic relief and the, the training instruction for uh, how to be the dog even goes into a little more detail in the pilot script. I think they had to cut some stuff for time, but super fun theme. I think what we're getting at with these first three scenes between uh, like Logan in the middle of the night, the intro to Kendall and the boardroom, and now this wildly different 
tone with uh, Greg Hirsch at the amusement park and learning how to be Doddrick the mascot is that we're just setting up this ensemble world here. And we're going to be seeing different storylines happening congruently. We are seeing truly a world like we see Waystar as this gilded tower with Kendall. And then we see it as like a shitty local amusement park with Greg. And I think another thing the show does so well that establishes what an ensemble it is, is the credits are in alphabetical order. The credits have nothing to do with Mm -hmm. the order of appearance or how high on the call sheet you are. This show treats everyone on equal footing in terms of their role in telling the big story. And I love how much we jump around in these first like five, six minutes. Yeah, I I feel like I would be remiss to not mention how Greg gets fired, which is he gets assaulted by a bunch of children. And then uh, (laughs) one of the most violent puking scenes I've ever seen in my life. But like that is the moment where I was just like, Yep, this was produced by Adam McKay the and Will The visual of the puke <laughs> coming out of the Doddrick eye holes is burned in my brain. It's it is so it is so gross. It is so funny. We get a good like we get a good slice of his personality when we hear his choice of excuse to his mother. It was so when great. he's like, <laughs> I picked up a homeless person. I didn't want them to get <laughs> raped. And they smoked, I don't know if you know a doobie, they smoked it in the car. It's just so, like, outlandish It smells like skunk weed in the car now. Even the, I don't know yeah, if the we Yeah, the mom's ever, like Greg. Yeah. I don't know if we ever see Greg's mom again, but, like, Greg, the actress that played Greg's mom, was so good at, like, in just that single scene of conveying... Greg is the largest fuck up and the biggest idiot you will ever meet in your well, life. Well, he is the largest fuck up. He's six seven. There are oh many God. taller fuck ups. He's six uh, seven. The actor is six his, seven. His mob has such That's a great <laughs> pilot line. Like it, it's just such a great line to have in your pilot episode. Which is, did you think for one second to tell them who you are? And we don't get the answer to it. I love that. I love that line so much. But also, like, who cares if you're? Does she? Does she like? Does she know that like that's that would work on very low level amusement park employees? Like, if I if I was working for someone, if I was working at Starbucks and like Howard Schultz's nephew was working at the store and like fucking up a lot, I know it's not going to cost me my job to fire him. It's it is such a it is such a wild like. I mean, and you know, going back to I, I keep putting this in the lens now that you mentioned Anthony of like uh, that character is the general public. And that is all of us watching all these extremely wealthy dickheads misbehave. And like, that is his first foray into it. It's like, did you tell them who you are? Which is, doesn't look like it's something that plays into his thought process whatsoever. He does not behave like them. He is, he's embarrassed. He didn't want to. And and I think he says something to that effect of like, well, I forget what the line is exactly. He does respond to it, but we get the sense that he just wanted to be like everybody else. He he felt very uncomfortable throwing his weight around, which is another thing we track through the seasons as he gets starts to get a taste for that, and we mm-hmm. start to see like slime ball Greg develop um, <laughs> later on. Oh, so, we we get some slime ball Greg later this episode. Yeah, we get a lot of slime ball, Greg, later in this episode. Let's talk a little bit about meeting one of the other Roy children uh, with Roman, with one of the greatest opening lines for a character ever, 
when he just states, hey, hey, motherfuckers, <laughs> uh, which is just like, what a, first of all, I, I was watching this with my wife. And she just said, is that a Culkin? Uh, like, had no idea <laughs> to expect Kieran Culkin Boy, in this role. Uh, but then to just get this scene with him fully, we, by saying that line, I automatically know everything I need to know about Roman. And like, Max, going back to your, like, the guys of New York City, I know exactly what guy this is in New York City. Um, I have unfortunately met this man as well, and I want to spend zero time with him at oh, all. Oh, yeah. Everything Roman says in this scene just indicates what this person is so clearly like, oh, you know, I, I was never C-suite material. I've been like doing my thing on the West Coast. You know, I'm, I'm in the studios. I'm making shit happen. Uh, I think this is one point. I was never a corporate cocksuck. That's a very <laughs> specific phrasing. And Kieran Culkin is delightful in this role. And it's wild to me that he was not brought in to audition for Roman Roy. He was brought in by producers for Cousin Greg. And oh. they wanted him for Greg he didn't feel like he was a Greg, read the script, said, I like this part of Roman. And he filmed three scenes from the pilot by himself and just sent them to the casting director. It was like, nope, you're, you're setting me in for this. And he ended up being the guy who got it. He does. True. I, of anyone in the family, though, I know he's an asshole, but uh, of anyone in the family, he seems like the best hang. Like, I think I, would, <laughs> I, think I probably want to be friends with him the most. I feel, uh, I feel like a night on the town with Roman Roy is going to be a lot better than anyone else in that family. This scene also did yeah. something super interesting. Um, and it was a theme that I saw throughout the pilot of the interaction of the Roy children amongst each other, uh, just of the Roy family amongst each other, is so interesting because we start to see them revert to like roles that they had when they were all living in a mm -hmm. household. And I think this is all something we experience, right? When you go home, or when you're with your parents, or when you're with your siblings, you revert to a different way of behaving that is like not how you are now because you have evolved as a human being. And seeing another side of Kendall, right? Because we don't really see, throughout this pilot, we only see really one version of Roman, and it is the hey, hey, motherfuckers version of Roman. For Kendall, we see another, you know, shade of his personality in that he is once again trying to be establishing that he's an authority figure and he's running things and he's good, but also somewhat submissive at the same time to his younger brother in this instance. The fact that he brings in this business alchemist as like, yeah. he can't just <laughs> walk into so... a room. He has to hire a man to sage the room. He's like doing a bit. And then we also, after that whole thing where he's kind of making it about himself and corporate life, not for me. You find out later when he talks to Logan that that was a spy operation. Like, you know, Logan realizes that when Logan goes in, Kendall, you know, takes his feet off the desk. So mm -hmm. he had sent, um, what's his name, Roman, to uh, essentially suss it out. And so as casual as Roman's being, he also, like, has a, a agenda there. And he doesn't really give a good report for his brother. Like, everyone's saying congratulations no one really wants to see him uh move up i'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the alchemist anthony because i was literally about to ask you how often does the business alchemist come into your offices <laughs> is it like uh weekly monthly I, I don't know i don't know if the business alchemist is a thing i have my own sage and palo santo that i use <laughs> and i will give it out 
if I if I feel that someone is in need of some cleansing, I'll just give them some Palisandre. <laughs> right, so for for those listening at home, we're going to make sure you have Anthony's socials listed, and you can contact him for all of your business alchemy needs. <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> yeah. little side hustle. I would absolutely take that on. Um, so let's talk about we meet our third Roy child uh, with Shiv uh, or Siobhan. Um Mm-hmm. And we also, more interestingly, even though, like, we see Shiv going through this deal of, um, I learned what a precond is, uh, which I I am going to be using that word forever now. That's a term uh, that I've only heard in this episode and never, and I love it. <laughs> it I, I absolutely love the idea of a precond. Uh, but what was more interesting to me is I thought this scene did such a good job of painting Tom, if that makes sense. Uh, and if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see Max's amazing Tom shirt. Um, Tom is Tom sucks. Like Tom is the suck up that is like just that we've all met and dealt with. Of you know, you know, I don't even know how to say. It. If there is a powerful person in the room, you are only focused on that powerful person. And there's a wonderful theme that we see throughout this episode that I don't want to talk about just yet that has to do with Tom, but how important getting this single gift is for Logan for this surprise birthday party that even Shiv is like, he's not going to give a shit. Just get him anything and spend over 15 grand on whatever you get him. First off, Jeff, I, I need to lay down the law here. There is to be no Mr. Darcy slander on this podcast. Yeah, we will my, not, my wife will be thankful that you we said will that not as well. shit talk anyone from Pride and Prejudice on this show today. <laughs> Tom staring longingly into the window at Dolce & Gabbana and window shopping and just obsessing over what to get and what we end up seeing the gift being, though, is so it's so great for his character to see how he values money as social clout and how like those two are connected to him Mm. and in this family that's so clearly you know generational wealth and this upper echelon like the elite of the elite tom although doing very well for himself is always going to be an outsider and the way he views money and like gifting you know his his love language being gifts uh is is very (laughs) powerful indicator here also just if you have never listened to interviews with Matthew McFadyen or Sarah Snook, do it because they have just the thickest British and Australian accents uh, in existence. And the fact that Sarah Snook has a basically uh, uncomprehensible Adelaide accent and that you don't get <laughs> any of it in this show is premier acting work. Uh, I hope that she gets her Emmy at some point for the accent work alone. Yeah, watch it after the episode special on HBO when they sit down and you're like, what the fuck are they saying? (laughs) (laughs) It's like when you find out that Idris Elba is British. Oh my god. (laughs) Shiv is like, Shiv is, uh, you know, almost... Did you say incomprehensible? Because I was going to say, like, I'm having to replay the things she says because it's such a thick accent. But I kind of buy it that she's such a great actor. Tom, however, seemed like he had to be born in New England. Like, he just felt so real as an American from that region who is, like, a little bit of wealth but still trying to be upwardly mobile. And to hear his accent and realize then when you start looking into it how British the show really is at its core down to Mm -hmm. even the players um it's kind of fascinating and and one of the reasons why it's such a like textured uh rich intelligent show because it has that 
heritage. I love that part of Tom's character because he like I, I feel like, you know, obviously Greg is going to evolve over time into more of a Roy. But Tom just feels like you just took someone with the largest social ineptness and just threw him in front of a bunch of wolves. And it's like, I think peak comedy writing, it seems like it's, it, and I, don't, I, I don't know how much and in, how involved he was in the actual writing of this, but it seems like a very Adam McKay comedy character to throw in there. It, it just seems like a perfect fit for them all to just like be piranhas at. And he's, he's the, uh, the punching bag of the group. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of our storylines in this show is we're following Kendall and we're following this deal uh, and this acquisition. The other one that I think is so interesting is following Logan Roy dealing with the mindset of the potential of retirement as a whole. Um, And it's so thoughtfully put together in that, yes, we've already met him in our first scene of the show with this, when he has the accident in his home. But then we see this man who is surrounded by a gigantic staff of human beings in this beautiful home in Manhattan, um, watching as his birthday is being, his surprise party uh, is being set up in front of him. And he is just very much alone with nothing to do. And even though none of us on this podcast are close to retirement, I think that's a story that we've all seen of someone contemplating the idea of, oh, once I'm done with work, what the fuck am I supposed to be doing with my life other than watching everything go on around me? Mm. And it just did such a great job of, and Brian Cox also just a fantastic actor who just like carries this important scene by not saying much at all while doing it at all. Um, And he, Decides to go into the office, but before we talk about that, but so I want to read you something. This is only a draft version of the script, but so I just want to read a part of it. Uh, so Logan walks the apartment. There've been a couple of days, but all is unpacked. The distribution of objects is unfamiliar. In the walk-in wardrobe, Logan sees a maid with a bucket of water rubbing the white carpet with a sponge to remove the urine stain. He doesn't acknowledge her, but walks to the living area. He tries to sit down on a couch. This is almost a test for him. Can he sit on a couch and relax like a regular human being? Mm. And I and he hasn't really had time to sit on a couch on a weekday morning for a lifetime, so it doesn't really work. He looks at the newspaper air with the flare of his son, Kendall. After a few beats of trying to read, sipping coffee, he's up. So I feel like maybe if you're watching it, it's, it's easy to miss, and you're like, oh, he just looked at a magazine. But that's yeah. meant to be sort of encapsulating of his crisis of character right now. That's such a good spot. I'm really, I'm really glad you you found that because that is like I, I did not piece that together the first time I watched it. That is like I think it's super indicative of just how Americans view our relationship to working in general. Like I, I, all of us are gonna feel like you said, Jeff, um, a, a bit of fear of not knowing what is going to fulfill our lives when it's not working for either ourselves or other people and it becomes an even crazier thing for me because like you know i feel like all of us here probably have a number of like dollars in our bank account that will get us to stop working entirely um and i think something with the super rich and i think uh like kind of a i want to say like a (laughs) a mental illness 
but it is like there doesn't seem to be that number for for rich people like yeah i i have made this comment about elon musk so many times he could have just stopped there's no he could have he could have just not done anything he didn't have to live publicly and then there's still something in his brain that makes him go no i'm still going to embarrass myself on twitter i'm still going to try to be this megalomaniac every single day and and i think that's another aspect of the the wealth um illness really of that you just have to keep going and keep going and there has to be more to earn more to uh to put in your in your bank account it is like you know the fact that he can't stop is like oh do i have a do i have a personality outside of this business rich it's super interesting you bring that up because the uh podcast that you made fun of me for listening to trillionaire mindset wait that's uh, a real podcast Yes, that's a real podcast that I oh, listen to all the time. I did not uh, know that. And, I, I thought I and, made that up. <laughs> and uh, Ben Khan, Emil DeRosa, if you're listening to us, big fans, friend of the pod for sure. Uh, so the one of the guests they had on that podcast was the CEO of Robinhood. Uh, and one of them asked very point blank, when is it enough? Right? Like, you you're worth 1.5 billion dollars is yeah and um it almost i think you so aptly put it like it does at some point seem like a disease where they're just they have no idea what to do with 1.5 billion dollars this guy has I a bigger boat to do this guy is a bigger boat this guy is a nicer plane this guy like had a better vacation or like you know this guy has so many mistresses or something like that it's always it's always a competition and it's like it's such a sickness but i think this is what this is what just keeps Logan Roy in there because uh, what else is he going to do? I think that's one of the things that makes this show so enticing, though, and why, you know, you have dedicated fans like Max and Anthony, who people won't talk to about this show anymore, because <laughs> the there is that idea of, holy shit, for a lot of people, this is a very foreign concept that they'll never be able to deal with in their lifetime. And watching a family and a man deal with that is super duper interesting as a whole. And, you know, moving forward a little bit of this man who has so much control of his life, we see him talk with um, the, um, what was the character's name? The key, the house, the head of the staff for his home. Um, and he makes the deal that like, hey, I'm going to go into the office uh, and just for a little bit and be gone as I've been instructed to. Oh, and is that Anthony, not his wife? Pointed, That's his wife. Is that that's, 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 Mar that's Marsha, his like yeah. third wife? No, I've never. That's the point of this <gasps> podcast. Marcia. We only watch the pilot. No, uh, Marsha, Marcy. That's oh, that's his wife. Yeah, we well, um, I, all. Yeah, I don't go know for it. what their relationship status is exactly, but it's like this is you know has been a significant female in his in his life uh, for a while. Who, as we, as the show progresses, we realize is quite savvy in her own business, right and. Just for the being there next to him, she has like lawyers on the side making sure she's getting even better deals and more board seats. And that's what we're seeing in the current uh, or more recent episodes. Hey, Jeff, why why'd you think that she was his staff? Uh, because I don't think they did a good job of establishing that she wasn't in the staff. Um, they, I think they did a shitty job. Because I and also like in all honesty, like I have you have heard these stories about these very wealthy human beings who end up getting so close to someone who works for them that they then want to give them a part of their fortune or say in everything. And like, 
I think you Elon Musk had about seven or eight of those from this woman. Yeah. Like it, I I know that's a joke, but in all honesty, this is a common story that like, I have like the point of this podcast, right? We watch the pilot, we go from there, we take the information we were given in this pilot, and then we decide whether or not we want to watch it based off of the information of just this pilot that I have been given about this woman. I assume, (laughs) oh, cool. This is someone that is very close to Logan. And that is setting up all this, instructing the staff, all that stuff. This is what Let my me defend is. you for a second, Jeff, because <laughs> the show is subtle in ways like that, where like, I, I'll watch a succession episode like three times by the time I've done to it, including like when I've gone back to previous seasons. But in this one, I'm not sure if this is exactly the shooting script, but Marsha's like, you know, uh, getting the whole party ready and saying, don't have people here and don't have them in my space. And she's like, I got it. Take, I'm going to take care of it. She kisses him. He's a tough old bastard. Not of a generation to melt and kiss. Logan, Marsha, I. Marsha, what? Logan, look, I'm not about to spill my guts like some queer. But, you know, he looks at her, doesn't say it, in parentheses, I love you. And then Marsha's like, thank you. I love you, too. So he's not exactly affectionate to a degree that you're going to see, oh, that's his woman. You yeah, know, um, that's his just in, it's easy to miss something like, uh, I don't know if it's easy to miss that by the time you finish the episode, but a little defense for Jeff on the subtlety. <laughs> I appreciate I'm glad you defense. brought in a ringer, Jeff. Since I made Jeff so hangry, should we move on to the birthday lunch? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move on to birthday lunch because we do get that quick scene of seeing Logan go into the office, say, hey, um, you need to sign this. Anthony, you did a great job of... Um, summarizing what the purpose of that entire scene was. But we before we go on to the birthday lunch, Cousin Greg is back, uh, or should I say Cousin Craig, and he basically is waiting like a stalker in an elevator Man. for Logan. And it is such a comedy of errors scene that was perfectly played uh, in this instance. If you were going into your building and then a random stranger was waiting for you with a quote-unquote gift, what would your response be if you did not have a bodyguard? Yeah, in an unmarked black bag. I think it's just perfect that Greg has that look. He, yeah. It's just he is the perfect look for someone crazy who's there to bomb the place. He has a, So I think that putting him in that position to not be properly introduced was brilliant because we also get to see how important of a person Logan truly is, that it's not someone you just walk up or go to your uncle's party just like that. Um, but I think there's also that little bit of, um, forgive me, what is his, uh, the Greg's actor's name, but his improv prowess, uh, because that feels like a scene they did a few times and, and took the rawest, funniest take, because it is a hilarious part. So from this elevator ride where we get this idea of Logan has no idea who the fuck Greg is to the point where he calls him Craig and his children have to correct him. Uh, we meet the th- <laughs> the fourth of the Roy children uh, where we meet Connor, um, I believe their name is. Yes. Um, and yeah, Connor, who lives on basically he is a moisture farmer, uh, which is just a wild job. Um, this is played by Alan Ruck, uh, who may look familiar to some of y'all, but, um, in this instance, we, it's an entirely different human being than some of the other Roy's that we've met. And this is someone who still is extremely wealthy, right? But has chosen to take themselves out of the hustle 
and live in, I think they said they lived in Montana or something like that. They live in the middle of nowhere as far as the rest of the Roys are concerned. And it's super interesting to see the difference because then we get one of my favorite things ever. After this surprise where Brian Cox perfectly delivers great, excellent, wonderful when he's (laughs) supposed to be surprised uh, and then yells at his wife, about uh, not wanting to be surprised at the elevator. We get the goo uh, being given by his <laughs> eldest son, uh, oh, yeah. which, uh, first of all, I think that is such a thoughtful gift. Sourdough yeah. starter is not an easy thing to do, but you see this man who has no is so out of touch with reality look at it and be like, what the fuck is happening and what am I holding? Well, and Jeff, you mentioned the... the- and Rich, you touched on this too, like the fear of what do you do when you don't have control once you're out of the workplace. And so Connor, being the thoughtful son, is like, I'm going to get you this hands-on project. He says it's something for you to it's something for you to make, I think is the way he phrased it. you want to make something. Yeah, yeah. you want to make something. And that's Logan's whole thing is he's built empires. He's built this huge conglomerate. And so Connor's like, in retirement, you could still make something. And you, you know, put that across from Tom, whose gift idea is... What's the flashiest symbolic thing I can get you? And Connor's like, I need something for my old man to pass the time. Yeah. And Connor, pilot Connor is he he's such a like a, a delightful like fish out of water, but it's still clear there's something there. Like I owed five four four or five farms in aqueducts and I farm moisture. Like clearly he's still full of shit, but like yeah. in a different way from the rest of his siblings. He is he is hoarding it, it, water. Yeah, there's no right way to give Logan a gift. Yeah, it's also yeah, like, no, what do you, what do you it, give? I was just going to say, it's an impossible task, but he still, right. he just uses it as an assessment. He makes a little comment. He doesn't really need a gift, but he's still, it's all part of his little like chess strategy of where everyone is at. And that it, in the script there, he reacts to that just by saying, uh-huh. When he's like, I thought you want to make bread the old way. And then I think they improv because it's, it's not in that version, but he's like, oh, old bread (laughs) but but later and he's like at least it was interesting like that happens to get like a good mark in the end over something like the petite philippe which is just like what rich people can already buy rich thing um but in the end nothing quite right i think we all know people that are hard to buy for like that it is very much like a what do you get a person who literally has everything and uh it, it, I think Connor is the most relatable character for me, at least based on the conversation we just had of like, when the hell do you stop? And I, I think Connor really like, I, I'm, I'm moving to a fucking farm and letting other people handle my money. If I just know I have like endless money like that, there's no way you will ever see me in Manhattan, uh, like talking about like nuts and bolts of business things and getting all stressed out or anything like that. I am gone. Someone else can sign stuff for me. All the other kids are, uh, all the other kids can sign the contracts, but I am out the door. We do get this super interesting, almost foreshadowing of what Kendall's life is like. Uh, when they introduce that his wife and kids come to the party or his ex-wife in this instance, mm-hmm. um, it's sort it's almost, you know, for Logan, I feel like it is, and this is how I got it. It conveyed like, oh yeah, if you want your son, if Kendall is supposed to take care of the company, he's supposed to copy everything that you would have done, right? Which means don't go to your dad's birthday party. Don't go, uh, you know, don't care about seeing your kids, right? Like, and even Kendall's affectionate with 
Anthony, you said about like the affection between Logan and his partner. Kendall is showing more affection to his ex-wife and his children uh, than we've seen from Logan this entire pilot so far. Um, and it is almost like another test of, oh, you're a human being? Cool. You can't be the CEO of my company. And we yeah. get we get that information in this next scene where Logan tells the children, hey, uh, Kendall basically already signed this contract. I need you all to agree with it because we're going to give an extra share of the trust out um, or an extra two shares of the trust out. And also, I'm going to not be giving up CEO. I'm going to stay on for a little bit longer um, just to make sure, you know, because I'm not ready to give it up. Um, and not only sign this, but this is what I want for my gift. He twists the whole impossible yeah. gift giving thing into uh, also I'm going to pressure you into signing this contract that on some level I don't want you to sign because I feel like if you sign it I've raised a bunch of pushovers so I on some level I want you to fight me about it but I'm also going to put turn the screws as hard as possible to make you do it and and we see like this like complex uh man who's built this empire and and sort of feels rightly so that he has created his pile uh, of money and as much as he wants to raise his kids and train them by testing them they will never be the people who built the pile they will always be just the kids responding to his little tests um of loyalty and shifting things around and i and i thought i didn't even get that the first time i watched the pilot but going back to watch it it's all set up beautifully subtly exactly that that solution that Logan ultimately can't ever solve. His kids will never have built the company. There's there's so many little moments in this entire lunch sequence that I think do a brilliant job of breaking down who these people are at their core. The way that we go from viewing Logan as being this feeble old man who doesn't know what to do with his time on the brink of retirement to this powerful like LBJ stare down like power <laughs> figure in the way he uses like worth and clout and like mind games with his kids with Kendall uh, his whole sequence with his wife and his children um, something that I don't know if they mentioned the pilot Kendall's son is named Iverson which there's there's two things there in the actual context, Iverson means son of Iver, and it's like a Norse name, like name for like a Norse god, which is also kind of similar to Roman actually being Romulus. It's like a power name. But you also can't not think that Kendall Roy didn't name his son for Alan Iverson. Yeah. Like you you just you can't not think these things. I love I love that Iverson. so much. Um I also think like seeing like the ass kissery from both Tob and Greg trying to like work their way in with Logan, how they both just try and shadow this man is so indicative of their characters. Uh, we just get, we get so, so, so much here. Uh, I also have to say, I love the exchange between Shiv and Roman, the younger siblings at the start of this lunch where Shiv's making fun of Roman's cologne and says, what is that date rate by Calvin Clyde? Roman goes, you wish. And you Sarah wish. Snook takes the best pause and just goes, <laughs> You I, wish. wish. <laughs> <laughs> it's very real writing. Like that this is how people talk. Sometimes their comebacks aren't sound. 
and then yeah. they get called out. You know, I, I think they do such a great job on the show of making it feel like you're you're in a real room. And I think even the creator said how he's a little bit obsessed with t- making people believe it's real. Obviously, it's a TV show, but he doesn't want to say, oh, this person was sick. And so that's why we had to shoot it like that. They take a lot of care that everything feels authentic and uh, and measured. And Max, to your point about um, both Tom and Greg sucking up to Logan for their different reasons, I thought it's interesting who succeeds out of that deal. Um, Tom, his watch gets given away uh, later when we get to the baseball game. So it wasn't very much of a thing. Maybe his line was cute. But what actually impresses Logan out of all the suck up suck uppery is when Greg is in the car with him and tries to strike a deal with the estranged grandfather that Logan hates. Initially, Logan says, I'll do anything for my brother if he asks me, meaning he's not going to help Greg get a position because the grandfather's too good for it. But when Greg comes back and is like, what if I can edge my grandpa out and get that seat? Logan sees a little bit of snake in him. And that's when he's like, I think he's a good kid. And that's when he gets in by showing his dark side. He also does not seem that much of a player at all. Like he, he's really a snake in the grass up until that exact moment. And then also, God, this could have been out of the banshees of Indusher. And it's like, I'll do anything for my brother, but he's got to ask me for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's a couple things that happen from here. Um, We get that reveal from Logan that, everything that's been happening around Kendall is a test. And that's why he can't be CEO. Kendall has this wonderful scene that in the bathroom where we see him have this tantrum like a child, but then in a moment (laughs) of like sucking up to his father, which he continue constantly does and showing how put together he is. We see him clean everything up to the best of his ability. And then we get this lunch uh, where we learn that we're going to go play a game. Um, we've been making references to the watch, and there's one subtle thing that I thought was super cool that they did with Tom, where he is holding the box that is the gift, the entire the entirety of the pilot until he delivers it to Logan. He's holding it like the nuclear is, football. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's amazing because you can see in Tom's eyes, this is the most important thing that he has. And this is the most important, this is his job for the day, is to get Logan this gift, tell him the line that even Logan called him out for practicing. uh, And then that is all that he cares about. But this was the scene where I think we're really shown just how wealthy this family is. And like Rich has, like you sort of talked about it, has us questioning the concept of does there need to be a bigger estate tax? Uh, because the idea of taking two helicopter, two or three helicopters out to the middle of the countryside of New York to play a game of softball, which they already have a scoreboard out there in the field, as well as tents. That's branding. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get this softball, this game of softball, um, which is just, it's super, this is probably the scene, the scenes that I was just like, oh, this is really upsetting. 
Like, there are some upsetting things happening in here that, like, are cringy, but also I can't look away from what is happening. The way right they now. built up to this, though, with everyone chanting, like, it's time to play the game, and, like, the way that builds at the lunch table, and then it's just baseball. Someone, did you expect someone to just run out and them just show up with guns and be like, cool, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna go Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the, most the most dangerous, dangerous game. game. They're going to an island. The yeah, no, 100%. That's immediately what comes to mind when you're like, rich people, game, most dangerous game. Uh, and that it, I think they do parallel that a little bit with that cringy moment in the in the million dollar check because even though it's not outright violence, it is a sort of uh, emotional violence that even Logan bristles at. It feels like even Logan realizes that's way too much, and that's the the disconnect where he came from nothing. He would never, you know gloat or do that but he has these children that they've lived in up in the clouds their whole lives he can't fault them for it but this is the situation he's got to jump up pad the kids palm with some cash and give away the watch because he's created these monsters kind of filling in the gaps here basically for the for those at home Kendall claims he gets a phone call where he has to go work on the Valter deal. He's going to get it done. And it's actually him pretending to be like his own version of Deep Throat, leaking stories of Logan's well-being to the paper to try and make himself look good and slender his dad. Kendall leaves. They need someone else to fill into the baseball game. And Roman recruits the son of like the groundskeeper to jump in here. And Roman offers the kid a million dollars if he hits a home run of this at bat. And what I forgot about this scene from the first time I watched it to now is that when the kid hits that ground ball, everyone at first is playing along with it. Shiv does like a dive and a fumble. Mm-hmm. She's clearly supporting it. A few people like miss some tags. And then the asshole is the guy on my shirt, Tom Wamsgams, who tags the kid and just says, Bad luck, kid. I remember watching this and hating Roman so much for it. Mm -hmm. And when I saw what Tom did, my jaw was agape. Like, that's the worst asshole move I think of this entire pilot is Tom. Tom's refusal to play along. It's super interesting because they... This is the one scene where we, throughout this pilot, like, leading up, we've sort of been like, oh, like, Logan's a sort of despicable human being. Like, Roman... From the ga- from the start, we were like, Roman sucks. Tom, we're sort of like, uh, there's this weird interaction with Greg where he's like, don't fucking ask me for help. And but like JK, JK, which is really fucking funny. Like, that was such a good scene. But this is the one scene where we see a little piece of humanity that still resides in Logan. And it's it it's it's super important because if we don't have the scene then there's nothing likable about Logan as a whole. But he literally goes up to this kid after being tagged out, shakes his hand, and says, great effort. Right? He's like, the only person in the entire family effort. that has experience of being poor. Or experience yeah. of not being rich. That I guess that would be a better explanation of it. He's the only one that's actually been there. And I think, well, actually, I don't know Tom's backstory at all, because I know he's not technically part of the family, but he's just like trying to impress them, I guess. I don't know. 
yeah, I don't know. I feel like Tom gets in his own way of just trying to be that person who's like, me too. I'm a Roy too. I, I don't know if Tom and Shiv are married at this point um, or, or anything like that, but that's very like, I don't know. It, it spoke more to not Tom's character as a person, but more of how much he's like willing to bend to impress them. Yeah. I think and- it's interesting to put him on third base too, because if he doesn't, if he were to do something like what Shiv did playfully like oh we might let the kid get the home run but he's the final person it's like oh you did, you couldn't catch the ball and save my family a million dollars like he's trying to also make this good imp- impossible good impression um where in that split second maybe he's like yeah i should i have to catch the ball like, do I'm you think it's an intentional Roy. choice from jesse armstrong or adam mckay to put put tom on third base like literally the guy born on third base is the one keeping this kid from like making something that's such yeah, an interesting or, question. Or also just that he who would have the hardest decision at third base and, and he, then maybe getting And yeah. I noticed at dinner too, they were all using silver spoons. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> um but even though this Subtle. game was supposed to be playful, right? One of the things that does happen, which is super interesting, is there's these business dealings, right? We talk a little bit about Kendall going back to the office to sign this deal. But even on the helicopter ride there, while they're enjoying catering, right? Logan is trying to talk with his children about, hey, what do I need to do to get your vote, basically? What do I need to get do to get your approval? Um, and yes, there are mentions of like, hey, Frank, the guy who gave your birthday speech, who said he's been friends with you for 30 years, he's fucking out because I want his job. That was Roman's request. And then um, the request of, I forget what Shiv's request was, but she was like, hey, I'll come back to the business, but I need to be like pretty high up. And even Kendall tries to get in and be like, hey, I'm CEO. You're both uh, co-presidents. And like, that's how we're going to deal with this. Well, every to single which- one of them offers their signature for the top spot. Like there's, there's no negotiation. I'll give you what you want if you give me the top. So now Logan has to basically play them all against each other. Yeah, and it, I did love uh, Roman's response to Kendall's offer where he's like, let me think for a second. Okay, fuck off. And like that was just, it was so perfectly delivered as a whole. Mm-hmm. But then we get back, and this is where I think, you know, if we did not have the amalgamation of events that came to this moment where we have, we see Kendall in the office standing up for himself against Lawrence and being like, this offer is so good that I'm going to have you be a pawn. Your shares are non-voting shares. Like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, that we then get this interesting moment of like, okay, cool. I'm rooting for Kendall again, even though he just went behind his dad's back. And while he's away dealing with business, as his dad probably would do if he was in the certain situation, his dad finds out from the three children that they're not going to vote uh, or they're not going to sign the paperwork. And their dad suffers from a brain hemorrhage. Um, what was so interesting and Anthony and Max, I think that you probably know is how Logan, how Kendall finds out, right? Because at first it isn't from his family. It's from the man he just got in bed with to do business with Lawrence, who finds out ahead of all of them. And I, in my mind, I was like, who told him, right? Who knows who's got an insider on this situation, because you know there has to be some mole or something. And in immediately, I went to um, the Marsha character, 
um, because I was just like, oh shit, she has to be, because she's right there at bedside. She probably found out, texted him really quickly and before Shiv could call. But it was such a powerful scene of like, hey, you're fucked, um, BT dubs. Mm-hmm. And like, now you have to deal with me as a whole. And it was such an interesting way to leave this pilot. Something that Secession does throughout its run, and we see it even in the pilot, which I think is important to to get out on the field early, is that as powerful as money and status are, the most powerful thing in this universe is information. And so the way that Lawrence withholds Logan's health scare from Kendall until after they handshake on the deal and he's in on the board is is super intentional. The way that Greg doesn't know how to use information at the beginning. And as we see throughout this pilot, he begins to learn how to use these tidbits to get what he wants is super important. Um, that is the most effective weapon that all of these people have. And it's the thing that creates the most success and downfall for all these characters season to season. That it parallels yeah, a lot with definitely. like mob movies and stuff like that in that sense, where it's just like, it's a power struggle internally. It is uh, the information aspect is, uh, 100%. I, I mean, definitely like that's, uh, that's such a perfect insight in the show. Cause like, I, now I can, now I can kind of almost like start predicting what's going to happen in future episodes, not understanding like that is, you know, obviously they're using their own internal communication, but they're also using twitter and and uh business uh trade magazines and stuff like that like all these different things to their advantages and yeah wow that is uh that's a terrific way to put that and also you have like um that scene proving logan right in a way in in the lunch scene or the scene exactly preceding lunch where logan goes in logan doesn't tell um kendall uh one-on-one that he's not becoming the new head guy he does it with the kid then logan storms in before lunch there's this like carefully orchestrated lunch so logan can make the announcement then force everyone to sit down and like marsh is kind of in on it there's like now it's dessert like no one can really talk for that long and i think that's another little brilliant you can see how the day had been especially planned all about this contract just as like kendall is uh saying that marcia's got a death grip pussy on her on her on their dad she walks in like it's dessert but and what i was going to say is when he when he goes in one-on-one finally he's like dad you fucked me then uh logan enumerates all the ways that he fucked up and he says sometimes it is a big dick competition i heard you bent i heard you bent for him and Kendall's like, what? I heard you bent for him and he fucked you. Like he, the dad, as quiet as he is, has all these gears going inside, taking every little tally. And one line that really stuck with me was like, you never lawyered the trust change. I, you're going to use that against me. I trusted my father. That's a black mark. It's an accumulation. Yeah. And amazing. it's, it's, and it, it, he has such a good read on Kendall. And we see at the end how, how true to, to form that read is like he's losing that competition lawrence is three steps ahead of him so we talked about the pilot were there any things that you loved about this pilot that we did not discuss today max i'll kick it off with you yeah i've got two one of those a really short one which is in the opening credits every single season there's an atn scroll for an absurd news story and they get more and more ridiculous as the show goes on but the one for the pilot is atn why are so many of our older celebrities dying which is a question (laughs) i would propose to the group why are so many of our older celebrities dying uh the longer 
the longer one for me is I love the I love the character arc of the Patek Philippe watch, which is that it goes from being this like trophy gift that Tom thinks will win over Logan to Logan using it as a like forgiveness tool, having his bodyguard Colin give it to the family that Roman screwed over. And then the third time we see the watch, it's just sitting open on a counter. Mm -hmm. And Tom kept it so cradled and protected the way that he views wealth is like this thing that you must grab and claw and hold on to at all means. And it has no intrinsic value to this family that it went to. It's going to change their life. 100%. That watch on the resale market will likely get seven figures. That is a watch that is worth close to a million dollars, more so if you take it to the right place. And it's going to have such an impact on their life. But like, it's just things. It's just stuff. And so seeing the way that that watch changes value every time we see it it's like value isn't just money and i really like the way they use this prop to tell that story throughout the episode anthony what about you any things that you loved about this pilot that we didn't discuss today um i, I mean just to add a little bit on to max's i think like how it, the, the last few seconds how we realized they are watching atn and even though they'd been you know sort of touched by this family in a physical way and now they've got their payday and, and they're gone they, they're continuing to live in ATN's world and just the vast, like, you know, power. I think they do a really good job of showing um, how this is like this towering, uh, almost too big for its own good company. Um, that episode specifically, I think we did a great job. I would say like favorite part of the series would be a preferred question or like craziest scenes in the series, um, because it really goes to some great places like with Boar on the floor or Kendall giving the uh, tribute rap to his dad, Elzer the OG. <laughs> like those are standout moments in the series, um, and I'm I'm excited for you to watch it, Jeff. I think you should finish it up. Yeah, awesome. I'll just say if you if you if you watch this pilot and you need a break or you say it's just not for me, I understand. I I took weeks after watching this pilot the first time years ago before I wanted to watch episode two. And it's become one of my, if not my favorite show on TV. The the things that are set up in this world of how despicable these people are pay off as Jesse Armstrong has more time to develop the black humor within it. And uh, it, we'll get to this, you know, when we give our, our final recs and our send-offs before we land. But yeah, just uh, think about it. Yeah. I, I didn't like it at first either. Just I thought oh, it really? was not for me. Mm -hmm. That That's so interesting. It's like espresso. I think a little bitter. I'm so, uh, you know, that is so interesting that both of you guys like watched this and just said, I'm going to give it a minute before I, before I dive in the, the following week. That's so, that's so interesting. And I think, you know, it could just be watching white people behaving badly. That's just like, uh, do I really need another example of this after like Wolf of Wall Street and Big Short and all that shit? Um, but you know, obviously there is a more complex weaving of a story that that happens. But I think for me, one of the most important things that I thought they do exceptionally well, just going from a pilot lens, not even talking about the show in general, they do such a great job of establishing the family tree and they make the power struggle and, and the needs and wants of each character abundantly clear 
immediately. And I, I think I, with the show introducing this many characters, this many like like top level characters, they did a really, really great job of understand or like explaining what all these people are going to want no matter what. What about you, Jeff? I, I think that the details that were in this show were really fantastic, right? Like, Anthony, you talked about the magazine being in the walk-in closet, right? And that having Kendall on the cover. Uh, we talk about the ATN being on the TV and that being everywhere. Just seeing the size of the Royco empire in this instance. It was so thoughtfully put together as a pilot um, and I think we've, we're very lucky to be in a world where we have a organization, I'm going to say this very carefully, like HBO that cares about the details in some of their series. Um, they don't care about other things, but they care about the details in the series they put in. Uh, and I will commend them on that and only that in this instance. With that being said, were there any wait a minute moments, things that were just like, holy shit, I cannot believe I just saw that in this Rich, you're shaking your head almost violently to yes. What what what's a wait a minute moment for you? Well, we touched on this a little bit, but the cousin Greg flip of like him all of a sudden being a power player from like him smoking weed in his car just doesn't it, it's not it for me. I feel like you need they needed <laughs> to do that like over a longer stretch of time because the the absolute like quick flip in the helicopter or like in the car, not the helicopter of him all of a sudden trying to do a power play in a billionaire is like a. It's like a fucking ludicrous thing. Like, I don't think it's a realistic character trait of him, but maybe he's just a weirdo. And that's like, that's how he behaves for the rest of the series. But yeah, it just seems I like think way it's out the, of I think it's that he doesn't, he doesn't care. Greg doesn't have any framing. So he has nothing to lose. Greg is already at the absolute end of his rope. He can't go any lower. So like, why the hell not? Just like throw it out there and see what happens. Even though he's like, does it so half hearted or hand handedly, I should say. He's like, you know, I'll scratch your back or if you scratch my back, obviously I wouldn't scratch your back because it's too <laughs> enormous a, a, a back. He's like not doing well, but I think all that matters to Logan is that he's sort of a cockroach with his back up against the wall and he has a little bit of fight in him. And that's all that. That's what I was taking from the scene, mm. that even in his like clumsiness, Logan actually took a shine to it. I don't believe that Logan Roy would be caught dead driving around in just a Cadillac sedan. Uh, that man 100% has a fleet of Rolls Royces <laughs> that are just at his beck and call. Um, so one, Cadillac, congratulations on getting them, uh, on giving those marketing dollars over to HBO so you can have the Cadillac. Uh, in the show, but two, but let's, uh, you know what Logan needs? Logan needs a, a, a phantom. Uh, so let's all pool our funds together to get one day of a phantom for Logan to drive around in on his birthday. Look, there's a, there's a rich LA car and there's a rich New York car and the rich New York car is under the radar and the rich LA car is overwhelmingly flashy. It's something that you're going to pull into like a like a 17 star hotel with, you know what I mean? Rich, I thought you sold your car when you moved to New York. <laughs> I did. My 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 uh my car was so low profile that it no ceased to exist. Oh Max, do you, do you have any wait a minute moments on this? Pilot? My my wait a minute moment is one where unfortunately I can't turn off my lens of having seen this entire show, which is there are so many characters in this pilot that we never see again. Um, 
So first off, uh, Roman's wife, Grace Roy, and their daughter, Isla, are never in the show again after this. These characters disappear between episodes one and two. Also, Kendall's seemingly number two guy in the Valter deal, Alessandro Daniels, never seen again. This actor never appears in Secession again. There are so many people who play big parts to this story who just end up on the cutting room floor. And for this being a show that was picked up to series order and is very much chapter one in a long story, you still realize like what happens when a pilot gets made before the rest of things get filled. They just like axed three characters before filming the next episode. Hmm, that's amazing. I thought it was interesting. They changed actually where Logan's from. Like Logan was supposed to be from Quebec and then later they told him, like, as they're already filming, oh, actually, you're from Scotland, where Brian Cox Oh, yeah, that is. too. Yeah, in, in the pilot, they say that he's he's born in, like, he's born in Dundee, but then he was raised in Quebec. And, like, subsequently, he's just, like, from Dundee, Scotland. Hmm, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So we get in-flight questions from our uh, listeners or uh, folks who are taking this journey with us. Uh, and we actually had two separate people send us the same exact question this week. Uh, And that is, who is the most despicable member of the Roy family? Uh, Anthony, as our guest, just based off of the pilot, who do you think is the most despicable Roy family member? Um, I'm going to request to go last while I ponder that. (laughs) All right. Well, as, uh, as the Greg of our group, when it comes to succession knowledge, I'll go first. Um, I definitely think, that it has to be Roman right in this instance with the idea of taunting someone who is not as well off as you with life-changing amounts of money, right? Like we okay. joked about it in the cold open, right? Of like Rich being willing to sign an NDA to have a chance at a million dollars on a home run. But like in all honesty, like that was the one scene where I was just like, oh yeah, if I was the kid's dad, I'd punch Roman in the face, not caring about my job or the consequences uh, other than this child needs to learn a lesson uh, of the idea of just how horrible of a human they were in that instance of making this an opportunity. Um, Max, why don't you go next? <laughs> well, are, are we just counting the, just the pilot people whose last name are Roy? <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Let's only count the people whose last names are Roy. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I have to agree that Pilot Roman is the worst here. Um, It's just, this is someone who I think out of all the siblings is the most self-involved. And I think someone who, they even say like he's like been kind of fucking around in California and he's been kind of kicked out of the C-suite. He's just, he's the black sheep and I think he's the most manipulative of the siblings in this pilot episode. Because yeah, it is Roman based on the pilot. But I think the whole thing is that's the setup of like, oh, look how shitty this kid is. But wait. yeah, And then, you know, (laughs) as you progress through the series, you'll, you'll find that choosing the worst one becomes harder and harder Mm -hmm. as we learn more about them um and so it's tough it's tough bookended to the pilot because i think maybe they want you to think roman is the worst it's it's Um, iverson roy little shit oh my god (laughs) when he Uh, grows up yeah rich what about you 
I definitely like just from how many pilots we've watched at this point also believe in kind of like the snake in the grass, like evil person, uh, like strategy of, of TV show writing, uh, which is why I wasn't going to go with Roman. Um, I think based on uh, snake in the grass wise, I'm thinking either Shiv or Connor are, are going to be like pure evil at some point um, because they seem to be the least harmful people that are on the show right now. Um, also, Marsha is like uh, like poised to be of like an insane person. Um, I'm thinking right now Tom is going to be the craziest because he's extremely influenced by bad people. And as you can see from the Manson murders, it's pretty easy to get really influenced by bad people and do some horrendous shit. So I think I think Tom's got the most evil potential for me. That's amazing. And well, Tom uses an Android phone. Uh, oh, kill him. In the most oh, recent season. <laughs> well, no, you know the thing about that, right? Because Apple has this like unofficial rule that good guys can't use iPhones. Yep. And um, and so there's bad, like speculation. You mean bad guys can't use iPhones? Is that what I meant? Yes, yeah. that is what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vill- villains can't use iPhones that's... and you can't show a case on an iPhone in a movie or TV show. That's bonkers. Thank you so much for that in-flight question. Um, let's talk a little bit about the history of the show or the legacy of the show. Four seasons uh, and it will be ending at 39 episodes. Uh, surprisingly, the show had fairly low viewership in the beginning. So it actually premiered right after the first episode of season two of Westworld, right? Mm. Uh, that show had 1.4 million viewers on its debut episode of its second season that dropped all the way down to 582,000 for the premiere episode of succession because no one really knew what to think of it. As a whole, the marketing was sort of a little bit of a mess. Uh, And this show is definitely a vibe. It's something that grows on you as a whole. Uh, And that's proven by, you know, like the season finale of this show of episode one had 1.1 million viewers. The season finale of episode of season three had 1.7 million viewers. Hmm. Um, Critics absolutely love this show, right? Mm -hmm. Like it averages about like an 83 on metacritic which means like definitely watch tv not like must watch but like highly recommend um the the show as we talked about is about the murdoch family right it is not like a veiled attempt um but one of the most interesting facts i found about this show was that um so the murdoch family has been asked about it the children specifically and they say like oh we find the show really amusing uh, and have not commented on how some of the situations which have been reported to be based off of their real life may actually be true. Uh, but oh, they didn't comment. Yeah, they, they, they weren't were, like, they oh were, yeah, we kill kids. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. But here's the here's the beautiful part. Rupert Murdoch's most recent ex-wife, uh, Jerry Hall. Uh, they got divorced. Part of her divorce settlement was she could not become associated with succession in any shape or form as a producer or consulting producer which is just brilliant like holy shit uh (laughs) rupert murdoch's lawyers you get a i don't even want to say an applause but you thought through every detail on that divorce yeah jeff you do not in fact have to hand it to them (laughs) (laughs) so they have enough handed to them but i didn't realize that Jerry, because Jerry's like a main character in in the C-suite there, and I I didn't realize that maybe they had lifted that. So let's talk about nominations. 
This show, we've talked about a lot of shows that have like five, seven, ten seasons. This show only on three seasons worth of nominations has 148 nominations total. 52 awards, that includes five Golden Globes, two Directors Guilds, and eight Emmy Awards. And it even won the Peabody for Entertainment, which is bonkers. I am fairly sure there will be more nominations this show did not get our Cradle to Grave Award, which is when you win a Kids' Choice Award, and then you get a oh. Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm so what surprised. Uh, I think Logan would tell us to all fuck off uh, if he heard that news. Uh, but this show has a continuing legacy, right? We are doing this before the finale. I'm really interested to hear what happens. Uh, but with all that being said... Rich, it is time for your game of the week. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm so excited you guys are all here for this uh, because we're going to do a little of who said it. Uh, I have compiled a list of uh, quotes from and, you know, we talked a little bit about the dialogue kind of being similar to shows or to movies like Wolf of Wall Street, Big Short. Like it's just finance people talking fast and talking mean to each other. Um, and it reminded me of some other properties. And I wanted to see if you can pick this out. So I want you to tell me. If this is a quote from HBS Session, or is it a quote from the lovely Disney animated series Doc McStuffins? All right. I've got a dick <laughs> the size of a red sequoia, and I fuck like a bullet train. Jeff, what's the, what show is that from? Doc McStuffins. It is not from Doc McStuffins. That is from uh, <laughs> that is from Secession. Max, uh, there's something I've learned from being a doctor for so long. It's that uh, everyone has a hero inside of them. What show is that from? I'm going to go Doc McStuffins. I th you're correct, Doc McStuffins. Anthony, I wondered oh, why you look like a goose trying to shit a house brick, you piece of dirt. Um... Gosh, it could be McStuffins, but I'm going to go Succession. You're right. All right, Jeff. A stuffing drive is uh, <laughs> something you organize to get stuffing donations for plush toys. It's kind of like a blood drive, but for toys. I, I'm, I'm going to say Doc McStuffins in this instance. Well done. Uh, Max, <laughs> that cow is so cute. Look at her little cowboy hat and her boots. I'm going to go Succession. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. That was Doc McStuffins. Uh <laughs> Anthony, what I think he meant to say is that he wished mom gave birth to a can opener. At least it would be useful. Succession. That is correct. Jeff, people in I toys... I have one for you when you're ready. Oh, please. Uh, people in toys get hurt sometimes, and it's important to be careful when we play. Succession. <laughs> that is from Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins. It's my favorite <laughs> that... episode. <laughs> and, and the last one here, it was supposed to be choreographed. That was about as choreographed as a dog getting fucked on roller skates. Uh. I wonder what it was. <laughs> uh, that is the director's cut of Doc McStuffins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. That is succession. Uh, Anthony, what was your favorite quote? Um, now, this this is also could be from Doc McStuffins, so the game is exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> the negative case would go, you're a clumsy interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead. And now you're just married to the Xbox boss's daughter and even she doesn't like you. And you're fair and squarely fucked. Wow. Yeah, they are. All right, guys, uh, the count of three. One, two, three. Doc, Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins. <laughs> That's correct. Oh, my God. Well, Rich, thank you for that lovely game of you're the so week. You're so welcome. Uh, it was a hard one. It was a hard we, one to put together. Yeah. Before we land uh, this plane and this flight, um, I have two questions for each of you, gentlemen. Um, one is based off of the pilot. Would you continue watching the show? We've talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to hear it from each of you. 
And then two, rather than, hey, do you think this show deserves a reboot because it's just about to end this weekend and that feels a little bit much? Um, do you believe that this show should have a, um, excuse me, I just forgot the word, um, should have a secondary series that's associated mm. with it? Uh, that maybe is based within the universe of the Roys, uh, but we follow another character elsewhere to continue it. Um, with that being said, Anthony, as our guest and our avid Succession fan, what are your answers? I'd like to see a spinoff series called Incarceration featuring um, Cousin Greg and Tom <laughs> as cellmates. I feel like they've always had a will they or won't they vibe uh, and a lot of sexual energy between them. I feel like a prison cell would be a great place and a good series to explore that. Um, but I also think uh, to your first question of watching it based on the pilot, like I said, I didn't think it was for me until I appreciated all the subtleties that were coming to play. And I'm glad that I did continue watching because I feel like it hit that magic stride that Beep did where it is now in in concert and parallel to our own reality as it kept going and we get into like election interference and uh, like the, the White House or the executive branch being directly in contact with the head of Fox News, essentially. It hit that sweet spot of, of really mirroring the current time well. And I even think, or the creators also on Veep, like a couple of the, the um, that sounds right. head people on this show also worked on Veep. Uh, and so it's always a pleasure to see a show that hits that like magic um, dust or whatever you call it, where it's almost like, did they rip it from the headlines or are they so on point that now the headlines are just happening to mirror the, the stuff on the show. So Max, I can't recommend it enough. What about you as our other avid Succession fan? On the merits of the pilot alone, taking away everything else I've gotten to appreciate about Succession, uh, yeah, it, it's 100% a yes for me. This is a pilot that makes me want to watch more. There are so many shows we've covered where the joke is like, we don't know anyone's deal. We don't know anyone's names. And what Jesse Armstrong does in about an hour is he sets up so many parallel storylines that then come woven together. We set up so many relationships. We get so much backstory and like little specific things that tell you so much more. This show is so great at like show don't tell as like a device for telling its story. And yeah, it a hundred percent before you even get to the cliffhanger ending makes you want to watch more and see where these storylines go. I, I think just watching as a pilot, it's masterfully done. In terms of spinoffs and secondary things, I don't want to see it, but we all fucking know David Zaslov's going to do it. There's going to be three of these spinoffs on Max within a year and a half. So if I had to pick one or two, uh, I'm going to say uh, we get one where it is finally Gregory Hirsch at top of his gilded tower, just fumbling his way all the way up to the top. And what <laughs> happens when he has to run a company uh, very similar to a Vincent adult man from BoJack Horseman situation. Yes. Uh, the other one being that I feel like is actually more likely to happen is a prequel to the beginnings of Waystar Royco and showing uh, Logan Roy and his brother, Ewan, who in later seasons of Secession is played by the wonderful James Cromwell as oh, wow. younger men, uh, either in the UK or coming to America and how they built their industry from the ground up. Rich, okay. what about you as uh, our uh, other neophyte when it comes to this? <laughs> uh, I am also in the um, 
American broadcasting nihilist uh, sphere of understanding that there is going to be a um, another like spinoff or something like that. Like Max said, like it was kind of inevitable for Game of Thrones, even though like, although if people were pretty satisfied with the ending of Game of Thrones, maybe they wouldn't have done it. Um, and also, yeah, I'm giving it another watch after after this pilot. I, I think they set up enough of a good um, cliffhanger here because this show has two things um, I personally like don't like that going against it. Number one is that it's an hour long. I gave up on Game of Thrones because it was an hour long. I've given up on a lot of other shows because the show is like an hour full of runtime each time. Um, that already like set it back a couple paces for me. Probably why I didn't start it in the first place. And then number two is that there's no character that I'm actually rooting for. And I cannot just kind of like be happy with other people's anguish for being bad people. And I don't feel a catharsis and them succeeding in the show. So it has two of those things going against it. I will give it another episode. I will give it probably a couple more episodes, but I probably won't do. I, I don't see myself diving into this that much in the next like week or two. So let me round us out by saying, Max, you stole my idea for what I'd like this spinoff to be. I absolutely would love to see how Logan Roy built this organization, right? And what went into it? Why is there a series of theme parks uh, right, that they just have, um, that, that is an entire season in my mind. Um, it's just the theme park. (laughs) Yeah. It's just about the theme parks. We, that, that's all we get. Uh, it's a limited series. Um, HBO call me, um, as far as watching more of this show. Um, I think that we've been talking about it a lot. This is not the best pilot that we have ever watched, um, by any means of the word, but there's something that's super captivating about it, right? Right, Like, there is this sense of mystery and intrigue and this despicableness that is wildly just, it's like candy, right? You can't get enough of it. You want to take it in and you want to watch it. And then you want to be like, oh, look at how shitty they are in comparison to me. Uh, like, this is a phenomenon that goes on with things like White Lotus, right? Where a lot of people are super shitty. And you can't really root for anyone uh, that has the money or that are the guests. Uh, But hey, we're still watching it. Um, So am I going to give this another episode? I will give it one to two more episodes. But Max, you will get a very angrily worded text if I lose two hours of my life to this show. (laughs) And I don't think it pays off. Um, You give it three. uh, Maybe three. (laughs) Fold some laundry. Just fold a little laundry while you're doing it. Do it in one other task. Then you're like not even wasting time. Yeah, listen to a podcast. Can I entice you into giving like 37 more episodes? Oh, maybe. Uh, We'll see. Um, But with that all being said, y'all... Our plane has come to a land. And before we sign off, uh, I'd love to make sure that folks know where to find y'all. So, Anthony, first of all, thank you again so much for joining us uh, to talk about Succession. Where can folks find you if they want to learn more about you? Uh, My handle is Eggplanthony, which is uh, the portmanteau combination word of eggplant and (laughs) Anthony. And uh, I don't know. I post some silly shit occasionally. But, yeah, it's been a pleasure being here, guys. Awesome. Max. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on today, Anthony. Oh, man. Well, you could find me in my living room every Sunday night (laughs) just shaking ass to Nicholas Bertel's Secession theme song. (laughs) You can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. Rich? 
You can find me also not paying children uh, at Damn That's Rich on Instagram. Uh, and you can find me trying to fi- build out a local team of dinger hitters uh, for billionaire <laughs> softball games. Uh, but you can find me on social media at Run Jeff Run on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV Pilots License. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, you can email us at tvpilotslicense at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. Next week, we are talking about bones. Uh, So if you have any questions about Emily Deschanel or just the Deschanels, uh, give us a call. With that being said, the plane has landed. The seatbelt signs are off. We look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, see you soon. Be great. (laughs) 